The reading of the New Testament, it comes from Philippians <coughs> 3, 7 through 11. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as a loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. You know, we just sang it, didn't we? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. This cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the central point from which all history revolves. It is the single event in which all time was created. From the very foundation of the world, God knew the cross of Christ would have to be. And he knew it would be the focal point. Even when he created us in his own image, perfect, without blame, without a spot, he knew that our own free will would get the best of us and that we were going to need a savior. God, the author of all creation, for the sole purpose of one day sending his son to earth, knowing he would die for us. We forget just how far that goes back. He knew, probably with a little sorrow in his heart, I think, that we would choose to move away from him over and over again. All of this earth revolves around the rugged cross that we just sang about. Paul, in our message, contemplates that and what the cross represents and how it relates to Christ's suffering. He discusses, a, he discusses a theory that is still relevant and prevalent, even maybe more so today. A theory that we can earn our way into heaven. It's not going to happen. There's only one way to heaven and it is through the cross. But what things were gained to me though I counted them a loss for Christ. 
Paul writes. What he's saying is all the things I might have counted as profit, all the things that may have mattered, were lost for Christ's sake. And what were these things? Well, we know Paul had credentials. We know he carried a lot of weight. Paul says he was born an Israelite, a tribe of the Benjamin tribe. He was pure-blooded Hebrew. He was the keeper of the Jewish law. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee zealous enough that he was willing to prosecute those of the church, the followers. He says, I was righteous. I was without fault. But all those things that he might have counted as a prophet in his life were lost. Paul says, if anyone thinks he can trust the external things, the external ceremonies, he says, I have even more reason to feel that way. If anyone can earn their way into heaven for goodness sakes, it's me. Look at my pedigree. Look at my history. Look at my credentials. But that's not so. All those were meaningless things. And all that really counts is the righteousness that is given to us by the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross. That old rugged cross. That emblem of suffering and shame. You know, crucifixion was a form of execution that the Romans didn't come up with them themselves. The Persians actually developed that in their way of execution was impaling someone on a wooden stake. But over the years, people developed, cultures developed different methods. And But by the time Christ came, crucifixion was their favorite method to execute someone. And by the time Christ came, over 30 thousand people have been executed on the cross by crucifixion. So the cross with the dead and dying men hanging on them was a very common sight around Jerusalem and in the Roman Empire. And it was really a reminder of just how brutal these people were. It really was an emblem of suffering and shame. George Bernard Shaw goes on to write, but why do I love this cross, he says. That was where the dearest and best of the world for lost sinners was slain. Lost sinners trying to get into heaven. Paul was trying to get into heaven. And Paul spoke of those credentials, credits, and successes. And he was making a point. After showing us that he could beat the best of the Jews at their very own game, 
And he was going to be proud of it too. For all that he had done. But Paul was saying to them, you're playing the wrong game. If you think that's how you're going to make it to heaven. We need to be very careful when we consider our past achievements. It's not to put so much importance on them that they make it in the way of the one relationship that should really count. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul considered everything he had in his life. And what he was going to give up. And he said, you know, it just doesn't matter. When all that I have lost, I have gained in knowing Jesus. He tells us that the relationship that you have with Christ should be the single most important thing in your life. It is more important really and truly than how long you've been a member of this church. It's more important than if you attend Sunday school. It's quite frankly more important than me being in this pulpit. It's more important than anything in this world. You know, there may be a certain event in your life that you perceive as your greatest accomplishment. You may say it's college, which for my father, that when I got out of college may have been that for him. It took me a while. It may have been your marriage. It may be the birth of your children or your grandchildren. That is a certainly a big moment for me in my life. But to make the decision to know Jesus Christ is the greatest decision, the greatest event in your life. What is it in your life maybe that you have going on right now that is above your relationship with Christ? What priorities do you have a little bit out of whack? How are you going to reorder them? You know, even though the cross was a very common sight in Jerusalem, it certainly wasn't a welcomed one. Can you imagine walking, more or less you were probably walking, down those streets and people hanging on the cross lined the streets into Jerusalem? Can you imagine seeing that? You could hear men screaming out in agony and in pain. It had to be terrifying and a haunting thing once you saw that. In Thomas's six remarks after the crucifixion, we learn that Christ was not lashed to the cross, but rather nailed. That it was laid flat on the ground. And then the Roman soldiers lifted it up and I'm probably betting it was very forcefully done into the ground where he felt 
that jarring blow because his whole weight of his body was hanging through his wrist and those nails and through his feet. Maybe, and I'm pretty sure it is a foretelling of this event, comes from the psalm we read today. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Paul says, I would throw all these things away, all the good things away, because he gave all his glory away for me. Paul is saying, I'm considering all the things I've done to be mere garbage. Setting all that aside because I want to gain Christ. He says, righteousness only comes from God. He thought he was a righteous man when he was a Pharisee. But we are made righteous by trusting in Christ. And Paul tells us again, I gave up in everything in order to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we're called to know this, to know the knowledge and power so that we may enjoy the sacrifices of Christ for us so we can fully gain it. But what are you willing to give up to know Christ? Are you willing to give up your friend's approval? Are you willing to give up some of your time in what is already a very busy day so that you can spend a moment with your God, with Christ, with your Heavenly Father? For it says in the hymn, For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above. What will you leave? You know, I had a very good friend of mine, Dr. Sam Robinson, and he only did it one time. Traveled to the Holy Land. Traveled to the, I'm a walker. Traveled to the Holy Land so he could study the crucifixion as an autopsy of Christ. And it was so disturbing to him that he only gave it as a... Um, special event at First Methodist one time. And what we forget about that crucifixion is just how brutal it was. You know, we forget that Christ had been flogged within an inch of his life. Can you imagine? We know what it's like to get a cut in our hand. Can you imagine having that nail put through your cartilage put through your tendon, breaking the bones as it's doing so. And what we forget is those crosses weren't big and tall. Those crosses really stood about a foot, two feet above the ground, knowing if you could just get off, you could step down. Can you imagine that? In your way of death, 
was by suffocation. That was the whole point of putting your arms <coughs> above your head. So the weight of your body would slowly pull you down. Because you didn't have a way to push up from your feet because they were nailed. So you slowly suffocated. We forget the reality of what that was like. That old rugged cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify each one of us. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. I'll cling to the old rugged cross. Do we cling to the cross? Do you feel the pain and the suffering? Can you imagine it? Paul is telling us, I want to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection. To share in his sufferings so I can become more like him. That's the emphasis Paul is giving us here, is that we can gain a deeper knowledge and intimacy with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's a fellowship of his sufferings. It's a partnership, a deep communion of that suffering that every believer shares with Christ. He's able to comfort us as Christians because he's already experienced the ultimate suffering infinitely more than we will ever suffer anything. So I'll cherish that old rugged cross. I will ever be true to the old rugged cross. Its shame and reproach barely, but gladly bear. You know, the cross today is kind of a common thing, isn't it? I mean, I wear one every Sunday. I wear this cross every Sunday. But have you thought about how it's just become kind of a um, an end thing? I think people wear crosses whether they believe it or not. Whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not, it's just become this uh, fashion statement for most. I mean, you can see them in the most bizarre context. I'm not saying they're right or wrong, but I'm just saying how very common it is. Just people just, you know, I'll just put this cross on. They don't even think about the meaning behind it. But you know, one day, back in the day, the cross was a very repulsive and vile thing. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, His body shall not remain all night upon the tree. But thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that, they, that thy hand is not defiled, which the Lord thy giveth thee for an inheritance. Back in the day, 
the cross was not to be worshipped. It wasn't held in high regard. But it is because Jesus took our sins with him when he hung there that we today can say, I love that old cross. It was a wondrous attraction for me. It was a wondrous beauty to that old cross. I will be true. I will cherish that old rugged cross. And I will cling, cling to the promise that it provides. Paul ends his passage by saying, By any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, in the hope that I myself will be raised from death to life. But the cross is not where it ended. That was not the end of the story. Jesus came off of that cross and he rose again on the third day. That's the story for us. That's how he will come and call each one of us someday. That's how he will take us home where his glory forever I'll share. One day I will exchange that old cross for a crown, the crown of eternal life. And I pray this morning that you are clinging to the cross, striving for a deeper and more intimate relationship with Jesus. Preparing yourself as you come to take communion. Realizing what the cross now represents for you. Amen and amen.